Nick, bloody hell. Like, we haven't spoke for... T- I think this podcast, we've done it I two years ago. Know, I don't even know for how long. We spoke before the marathon a little bit, didn't we? We yeah, spoke yeah, before I, the marathon, but it was all running-related. It wasn't work-related. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, this podcast, though, I mean, it, I think it's been nearly two years since we've done it, so I just want to, like, find out what, what, what you've been up to the last two years. Um, you know, has your business grown? Have you been really busy? What What's happened? So my accountant called me about two weeks ago and she said that I have to pay about 30 grand of corporation tax, which basically means that our business has grown considerably because yeah. before we've never really <laughs> had to pay that much. Yeah. Whether I'm happy about the news or not, it's a whole different story. <laughs> but 2021 was such a strong year, not just for us, it was such a strong year for everyone else. And I remember years ago, I was telling my other half, I was telling if we could only switch off the home improvement industry just to see whether they're the real competition. But what transpired was that the real competition for us wasn't the home improvement industry, wasn't the building trade, it was the holiday industry. And we needed somebody to switch it off completely yeah. to see the difference. And you know, COVID came and switched it off completely. And we know we all know what happened. Everybody just wanted to spend money on cars yeah. because there was nothing else to spend big money on. So in reality, what I learned was that it wasn't the home improvement business. It wasn't the building trade, the property developers we were all competing against. It was just, um, it was holidays. Yeah. It's people like yeah. spending big money on holidays a few times a year. And yeah. um, it's between buying a nice expensive car or between buying three or four holidays in a year. This, this was it. And, and so that's this is my cash. competition. And, and did, like, you know, so I'm assuming it was like really busy for you. And did you enjoy that busyness? I, I did and I didn't. I, I knew that I could sell a lot more cars. And what stopped me was two things. My, my business, as you know, is reasonably slow. So in terms of facilities and help, we're quite limited in what we can get. But, but also, we just couldn't get our hands on the stock fast enough, basically. I was yeah. very creative when buying. I was taking stupid risks just to make sure we've got stock lined up, ready to go. And still, I think in my best month, I sold 21 cars, which is the most I've ever sold. Yeah. And when I say I, it's just me. It's just a one-person business, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. So if, it's the if, preparation, if, which... If people are listening, Nick, like, oh, like they've just first heard this, uh, how many cars do you normally stock? Just so they know. So we, right this minute, I'm looking at the screen, which tells me we've got 18, which of which 16 are ready to go. So we stock between, we try for between 18 and 25. Yeah. Right now we've got 18, but I like nice cars. So they're 18 cars, but they're worth over 300 grand. So, yeah. and I like big margins. That's that's what I like. I don't like selling cars for the sake of just getting the turnover. You know, yeah. I'll hold on to a nice bit of stock for months if I have to. Yeah, but I want to see a bit of margin at the other end. So, um, so to, to sell twenty, 20 cars, cars to to stop twenty twenty five, and then to sell twenty is amazing, isn't yeah. it? I I think so. It felt amazing at the time, but basically, as soon as we advertise it, and when I mean as soon, I mean when I press a button on my Trader portal, the phone would ring within. 20 minutes half an hour and somebody would leave a deposit and in those times and i'm saying times as if it was years ago it was last year but it felt like a decade ago now (laughs) people would ring and they would know what's expected of them they would know that a deposit is expected they would know that we want them to be serious about buying yeah and i think this helped tremendously so i um strongest months were april may june maybe july of 2021 and in those months, I don't think we've ever had a customer come in here 
and not drive away or, or at least not leave a deposit for the yeah. car that they wanted to come and buy. We didn't have a single person to come and browse. We didn't have a single person to come and test the water. Yeah. We had a single. We didn't have a single person at the very beginning of their buying journey. It was just, um, I mean, if Carlsberg did car sales processes, that would have been it. <laughs> and at the time, it just felt too good to be true. And now looking back on it, yeah. I wish those times could return. Obviously, just the car sales bits, not... Yeah. Not what they did in general to everyone else. But um, to be honest, it's, it's finding the stock. You sell four cars in a day and then you look at four yeah. empty parking places and you know straight away that you've got a week's work lined up straight away. Yeah. And for me, buying a car takes minutes. You go online, you buy it online, and the delivery driver brings it. But then our preparation, it's between two and four days. So if it's four cars, that's 16 working days basically not just me it's other people preparing it but it's you know what i mean it takes forever sometimes the dearer the car the more expensive the car the higher level the more you have to do to it to make it sell that's right and you know um so i, I think i got addicted to selling cars when it was so busy <laughs> <laughs> and then when it when it like quietened off I had a bit of a um, a come down. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like I was like, post, "Is this like it now? Is this it forever?" Of some sort. Yeah, everyone went through the same thing. I think. Yeah, and we all I, went through the same thing. And I think now is this is normality now. This is this is where we're at now. Yeah, so. Yes and no. It's normality in the sense of lack of buyer confidence and not fast sales, but it's still not easy to restock when you sell. You still have to be creative. You still yeah. have to find ways of sourcing the stock. You've got to either get lucky sometimes, which yeah. we all do every now and then, I, and I'll be the first to admit. And, and you do, do, do you still buy in the same way, Nick? And... Do, you, do you still buy, like BCA, buy it now? Oh, have you, have you found I, love BC, I love BCA by it now, but I don't love BCA anymore. I've fallen out of love with them. It's because of the way they've grown. I think the good times for us were good times for them. And yeah. They became so arrogant, so difficult to work with. And the people that they're such a small part in this huge machine now that every single person you work with from BCA, nothing is in their hands. Everything is out of their hands. There is nothing they can do. There is no decision they can make. Yeah. And I think out of about seven or eight battles I've had with them in the last two or three months, I probably won one. And in the past, it used to be 50-50. Uh, but at the same time, they've got so much stock available every day. You can go in and buy something decent. That I, I personally struggle buying privately these days. I can't travel for cars anymore to yeah. negotiate with private sellers to be on the receiving end of phone calls that say, sorry, we know we, we said we'd sell it to you, we took your deposit, but yeah. somebody gave us 50 pounds more, so we decided to go yeah. with them, here is your deposit back. I can't have these conversations anymore. I'd rather argue with BCA than have the private sellers on the other end of my phone line just um, playing with my blood pressure, if you uh, know what I mean. And what about motorway then? Do you think that's been a good... Well, what is motorway? Motorway is private sellers. It's basically just uh, like a medium to connect dealers with private sellers at the other end. I don't want to deal with private sellers. Yeah. I just don't want to do it. I'll buy a car privately from somebody that I've dealt with before, somebody that I personally know, and I do it all the time. I do it every week. We buy one car in this way from somebody that rings me up and says, Nick, do you want to buy my car or do you want to buy back the car that you sold me? We, we always do that. No problem. Yeah. But motorway, to me, it's like auto trader with private sellers at the other end. And I can't understand the growth. <coughs> I mean, it's always dealers competing against other dealers. So I don't know what the appeal of motorway was 
why is every dealer thinking that they'll get a bargain of their life on motorway when in reality all they're doing is buying from a private person yeah. but to do that they have to bid against multiple other dealers to get to a price i'm assuming that when the um when the time comes to go and physically pick up the car, then they find fault, so they reduce the price. Yeah. But they could have done this from an auto-trader advert from a private seller anyway. So I've, I've, never, um, I've never bought anything decent on motorway, never, never did any purchases to be proud of. And I, to be honest, I steer away from it. I leave it to dealers that like that platform. It's, it's not for me. Yeah, it, it's what I know Ian from Club Class Cars, he's, he's been having yeah. some like, success with it. And he says that the good thing is, you know, if somebody um, describes it correctly, it's got full history, it's just had an MOT. He says there is a lot less prep on the cars from motorway if they've been described better. But you're you're looking for more bargains, aren't you, at BCA? A, yeah, like, so a bigger basically margin. if a car is 20,000, I'll be looking for 17,000, and we're talking cup valuation, so BCA buy, price, buy now prices. So if I save a few hundred pounds from a motorway purchase, to be honest, that's not, it isn't good enough for me. I'd yeah. rather get a big bargain off BCA, pay them their 400 pounds buyer's fees, and not have to deal with a private seller at the other end. I don't know, David. I mean, I used to think that I know everything. And in the last couple of years, I just, I think I know less and less about this trade. <laughs> it hasn't really changed that much come, think, come, come to think about it. But there are more ways of doing things now. Yeah. I mean, what, what has been the biggest change then? Would you say? So when BCA closed their doors, I used to spend three full working days roaming their halls in Blackbush. This this used to be my life. This used to be my daily routine. I used to get in the car at seven o'clock in the morning. I'd be there by half eight. And I would typically leave there about three in the afternoon. And some days I will have nothing to show for it. I'll, I just wouldn't, couldn't buy anything. And the biggest change now is that I sit in the chair that I'm talking to you from, I look at the big, nice Mac computer screen and I press one button and I've done my purchase. Yeah. And we pay a delivery company based in the Midlands to bring our stock. And I'm saying the Midlands, but they will bring it from everywhere. And that's the biggest change for me. So it's freed up three complete working days of my working week with yeah. the same with, with the same result. The cars we are getting, the cars we are buying are slightly worse than they were before. So arguably they need a little bit more prep. But at the same time, for three working days, you can get a lot else done, and that lot else can pay for a bit ah, more prep. And when I yeah. say a bit more prep, it's probably 150 pounds per car. We get a couple of bumpers painted for that money. So, um, but I'll give you an example. We I picked up a BMW 4 Series from BCA Thurley, which is um, it's in Leicestershire, and I'd never been there, so I went like on a on a day out for a drive and I went to pick up the car and the windscreen was broken it had a massive crack across the front of it and the people that worked there they said oh put a claim in uh, when you leave site put put a claim from the claims system with the claims department so we put a claim in and the answer came back in about three weeks and they said because the crack in the windscreen when you add it to their algorithms it doesn't change the grade of the car which was graded grade four Arguably, the car wasn't grade four. They'd graded in grade four. They must have known about the broken windscreen, but it wasn't on the report. And I was so bitterly annoyed. Like, to me, that was, yeah. I felt like I was massively shafted by this. Yeah. But at the same time, the windscreen replacement wasn't that expensive. And um, so, yeah, it's between a rock and a hard place. So I, I'm loving this buying online process where the car turns yeah. up. I don't leave my chair. We do a touch more preparation. But then, um, I quite like this. I don't want yeah. to be, 
back on the train as in uh, I spent years and years on the train network ask me about a train station a train line I know them all do, I'm glad do, that I've got you not, I've freed up all of this time for me do you not miss being in the uh, in the auction hall though and the, and the buzz of it and all that I did for about six months, and now I don't. I just don't. I don't miss it. I've, if I if I need the buzz, I will put the computer to play the uh, auctioneer's voice in the background, which is still exactly the same. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I don't think me and you have ever been in an auction hall together, but I was never a mingler. I never mingled with other dealers. I never yeah. traded jokes. I've, I was never, I was always with my either with my phone or with my iPad, just walking between cars yeah. and Blackbush auction halls. My phone used to tell me I've walked 19 kilometers, 20 kilometers, 21 kilometers between cars every day. It's quite a long, it's quite a long way to walk between a thousand cars many, many times a day. Yeah. I don't miss this. As you know, I've taken up running about a year ago and I think I'm doing the same mileage as running every week now. <laughs> the mileage is I used to be walking between cars. Obviously that was walking, not running, but... So, um, so that's so, yeah, why you I'm got into the running then? That's why you got into the running to uh, replace the walking. Well, no, I took up a challenge, but ultimately what happened was the running kind of replaced. I don't have the need to walk now. I mean, I've got a busy enough running schedule as it is. I did uh, a marathon. I did two half marathons, and this was all in the space of about three months, starting from September. So I've been busy enough running around. (laughs) So I don't have the need anymore to spend any more time in the auction hall and arguably in the auction hall we used to see a lot of things cosmetic but the mechanical side of it you could still miss a lot of yeah. faults yeah and now at least this way you've got some sort of a comeback some sort of a recourse although 80 percent of the time they shaft us but every now and then they send the big check our way to make up for the multiple other trouble cars that we buy and, and so, how, um, how long does it take to do a claim then nick because i'll be honest I've, I've never done one so they've got an online system now where you log the claim online in theory they say somebody will get back in touch within 48 hours in practice you need to chase them a couple of times and sometimes you wait a week or two weeks but i don't wait i put a claim in and then i start working on my car and i advertise it and i prep it and i do everything else that i would have been doing and eventually somebody comes um normally they call or i call them and they say one of two things. They say, oh, what do you want us to do? Or they say, I'm sorry, but we can't do anything for either because according to our terms and conditions, the car was as described or whatever. They always find a reason to get out. But when they don't find a reason, they pay. So um, if they pay me a claim one once every two or three cars, and if they authorize the full amount I'm asking, yeah. to be honest, that makes up for the couple of others that they don't pay for. And there is always yeah. one or two things which I accept. I mean, we buy from an auction, we pay trade price. Hell, I pay, I like to pay at the bottom bottom bracket of trade price, yeah. even way below that. So I'm expecting a car to turn up and to have a problem or two. It's just, um, I don't know. I mean, what's the weirdest car problem you've had in the last couple of months? <sighs> it's all this week at the minute. Flipping heck, I've had a... Uh... EcoBoost, one litre Focus engine, might need to put one an engine in that, a Focus ST that had an oil leak, and I think I've got to put an engine in that, and then I bought an, a, an Outlander that I've put, I think, four injectors in, uh, DBF's still blocking up, it's smoking, I've sold it, had to buy it back, I've sold it again, and it's come back for warranty stuff again, and I'm like, oh God, I'm going to have to give them the money back on that again. But that's, this is just the life we've chosen. You know, when you consider the amount of cars that you're selling a year, 
you know, it's like... Ten... Absolutely, you'd always get them. The, the, and... My problem is that I, from all the cars I sell, I tend to remember five or six every year. And it's not the five or six best ones that come and go and bring me the most money. <laughs> it's the five or six worst it ones is. that every morning I'd wake up at four o'clock sometimes yeah. and I will recite a registration number in my head of yeah. a car that yeah. we sold to somebody eight months ago and they're coming back for something small that escalated and escalated. So yeah. right now I'm being... Well, I'm not being taken to court yet. I'm being threatened with being taken to court. Oh, what, what car is that car for then? I, I, <laughs> I sold it in January to a very nice chap, actually, a London chap. But he did about 5,000 miles in it in a very short space of time. And between you and me, I think he drove the shit out of that little thing. So he's complaining. <laughs> but what car was noise. it? And smart cars, they're not oh, built it's a smart for car. like 5,000 miles in four months. They're just not built for that. So it, it does look increasingly likely that we'll either have to end up in court, which I'm, you know, I'm not averse. I want to go and see what the judge says, but I hear stories that they're so biased uh, that um, I'm just keen to avoid it if I can. So um, I'll so, try and get it resolved with them. Maybe offer them trade price to buy it back. So what, try and fix it cheaply. What What's he mourning about then? What's the matter with the car? Well, he's, he's saying the transmission is making a certain noise, um, and it is. I mean, I've heard it, and it is making a noise. But my defense is that it wasn't making the noise when I sold it, and I sold it nine months ago. Yeah. And yeah. 5,000 miles ago. So there has to be a cutoff. There has to be a limit somewhere yeah. where it becomes his car and not... It becomes the car that he bought instead of the car that I sold, yeah. if you know what I mean. I know we're fairly, fairly responsible but there must be a limit somewhere, and I'd love for somebody to tell me that the limit is, say, 4,000 miles in six months or 4,000 miles in seven months. Yeah. But unfortunately, he'll just say that the fault was developing before he bought it, and if it goes to a court in front of a judge, God knows what they will say. Like, it's a, such a 50-50. Yeah. I mean, I've, I love a bit of gambling, but sometimes it's just not worth the hustle and the pain. And yeah. I don't know what... I don't, it's worth going to court for it, though, because... It sounds like it's in your favour. It's five months after. He's done plenty of miles. Yeah, but the problem is that the judge could say, um, the judge could ask them to either make an engineer's report. or they, I know they've yeah. not made an engineer's report, but if, if but they you, did, they would have. You know what it is? They don't even know that they have to make an engineer's report. It's just hassle you don't need, isn't it? When you get bollocks like this. You know, you've got I used to try all these stuff. little battles. I used to live for the little battles and I used to enjoy them. But now I think, I don't know whether I'm getting older or I'm just getting, either I have too much on my plate now, kids are getting bigger, yeah. problems are getting bigger. And you just, you're trying to, you know, distress and eliminate some distractions. I've got, I'm training for another marathon in, um, it's in three weeks. And all I'm thinking about is the time I want to meet, my nutrition strategy and all these little things. Yeah. And it's many little things you have to think about. And the last thing I want to need is about responding to letters. And, yeah, um, that's it. Well, it, it's like in that WhatsApp group. I'm sorry, I forgot which chat was it who went to uh, New Torquay last week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, the the, the dealer. Yeah, the dealer. The and, dealer WhatsApp group. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, but we all knew. We all knew what's going to happen. It's like the outcome was virtually guaranteed. But yeah. when you read it black or white, it's just it looks so biased. It looks like he got so unlucky. Yeah, yeah. And what? Just remind me what happened again. I um. So he sold. I think it was a Saab, a reasonably old car, and he sold it many months ago. And the customer had a complaint about low bat, poor battery, low battery, but the car lay unused for six months. And obviously oh, the battery would have yeah. died. 
yeah. the customer never used it for six months. But because of the because of the bad battery, it had another either electrical or electronic problem. I'm not sure exactly. But the customer was disabled as well. So okay. he put all of this to the judge. And I guess the judge saw a disabled so, customer on one end and the greedy dealer on the other. And he immediately decided against the dealer. But not only um, did the dealer have to refund in full the price of the car, yeah, about six and a half thousand, he had to refund about one and a half thousand in garage charges that the customer had paid out to a garage for, oh, no. I don't know, maybe diagnostic or some repairs. I'm not sure exactly. So the, the end, the bill at the end would be over eight grand and the dealer still needs to go and recover their car from yeah all the way from devon and they were based near southampton somewhere so yeah. it's not like it's around the corner just yeah. a very very unlucky scenario that it, nobody it is. wants to it's like be what, in that film really one in one in a hundred isn't it you get someone like that and if i can sense I guess, that, I guess so, if i can yeah. sense someone's being like that i'm just like i'll give you your money back because just all them letters all that bollocks you've got to go through it's just not worth it is it so just give them the money back get the car back and sell it again. Simple as. But like you say, hindsight's a wonderful thing, especially when you think you're in the, well, you are in the right, that that chap was in the right. He, he had a, it was all in his favour, really. But Definitely, yeah. That should have been a clear-cut case for him and the customer should have been kicked out of court, but instead he was given money and, yeah. and now that customer will talk at the pub at 25, 35 other people yeah. and 35 other people will potentially take 35 other dealers to court. And then um, the public is wondering why the prices of used cars are keeping keeping going up. They will they will keep going up because people like you and me wouldn't want to buy and sell one for yeah. minimum reward like we used to many years ago. Well, not many years ago, a few years ago. Yeah, they looked really cheap. So that, that'll be one of the reasons why a, a thousand pound car will not be sold by me anymore. I mean, I've got a lot of people that will buy one from me in a heartbeat. But I just want my name to be put behind a thousand pound car, which is effectively an end of life vehicle. Yeah. And I can be dragged to court a year later to give them the thousand pounds back. It's just more hustle than it's worth. You know, yeah. I'd rather get 450 from a scrap company and that's a terminal deal. Like you get your 450, they can never drag you to court. Everything is done and dusted. Everyone is happy in this deal yeah. rather than give somebody a thousand pound car. I mean, if you ask me, everyone should be driving a car, which is worth maybe between. 10 and 20,000 pounds. People don't need 100 grand vehicles for sure. Chris Ball, apologies if you're hearing this. <laughs> but um, a thousand pound car is just not something that I will feel comfortable in on being on the road driving uh, it. Just imagine an accident happened. It's um, well, yeah, Nick, you, something you, a bit you, more substantial. You know, look, that, like, obviously you've made a extra money have you put that back into your cars have you raised your stock profile oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah whatever we've made everything is back into stock it's we don't carry more more stock in numbers but it's more every car is more valuable it's just worth more yeah and i don't know whether that's the optimum strategy because we're going into times where everybody's sort of um tightening up their expenditure so all the money now will be on cheaper cars. So um, I think now a business with 70 cheaper cars will be better off than my business with 20 more expensive ones. Yeah. But remember, I mean, a 20,000 pound car will always be a bargain for somebody that is currently driving a 65,000 pound car. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, well, I mean, I've sold a hundred grand of cars worth in the last six or seven days. And this sounds quite dramatic, but in reality, I've sold four vehicles. Yeah. But yeah. between them, they're worth a hundred grand. So, um... yeah. see, we we our stock, 
I, I did go up to like the 25 grand, th- th- a few 30 grand stuff, and I struggled to sell them. I don't know if it was the mindset that I was in, or it's like I was set up, but I've went back down to like cars between five grand and 15 grand, and that seems to be my sweet spot, that. Do you think everyone's got a sweet spot? Do you think, like, or do you think you should always be aiming to increase your stock profile? So, yes and no. If you were looking to buy a £40,000 car, you'd be looking at all the other cars that that dealer has for sale. And if you see 50 cars, which are priced between five and 15000 and a couple of £40,000 vehicles yeah. just thrown in the mix... Yeah. You wouldn't feel very comfortable buying from there. You just go and buy from a dealer that has every car at forty thousand, or That's they right. start from forty thousand and they go all the way up to say two hundred thousand. That's where you'd feel more comfortable. Also, people that drive very expensive cars, they tend to change them reasonably often, and they tend to have a dealer that they work with, somebody that they know, somebody that they've bought with before, and they buy easily, but they buy easily from people that they know. And obviously, you're not one of them. So no. you'll be in the back foot selling a more expensive car than your normal stock profile. So I think every dealership, yes, they have a sweet spot. Yes, we should all aim to, uh, I guess, increase. And I've done it over the years, but I've done it so slowly that it was almost pay- painful to watch. But ultimately, my customers, when they ring me now, nobody rings me up to say, have you got a 500-pound car to sell me? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, selling yeah. a twenty-five thousand pound vehicle to somebody is easier compared to what it was five years ago. But if you go on our website, all of our cars are sort of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty thousand. And if you're looking at one of them, you'll feel quite reassured that we know what we're doing with them at that sort yeah. of price bracket. Yeah. But our cars are not the sort of car that you buy because you need one yesterday. They're, they're a car that you buy because you're aspirational. It's a sort of purchase that people tend to think through a lot longer. But I have decided that if I can sell seven or eight cars like this in a month instead of 20 cheaper cars yeah. and still make the same money in terms of margin, yeah. I think for me that's the better model because it frees up a lot of my time to go and do what I do. And I've, we're still based at home. So for us, it's a little bit easier. We've got limited facilities. I've got limited people I can rely on. Yeah. But in a way, that's an advantage because I don't have three or four members of staff to have to yeah. find work for yeah. constantly because yeah. you know that when you employ people, sometimes you're in a position that you have to work for them. If yeah. You know what I mean? You need yeah. to do deals just yeah. to keep to the momentum going. To have something to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we, that's what I do, basically. I mean, we've done two cars today and I feel like we've been really quiet, you know, Um it's if I don't that's what I mean I mean the business is just a bigger size of business so you need more uh, either more activity or more turnaround or more revenue or yeah definitely when you sell 30 or 40 cars a month and if you only do one in a day that's kind of half of what you need to be doing or want to be doing everybody wants to be selling more I've never talked to anyone that sells cars that says I've sold enough I don't need to be selling anymore I don't want to be selling anymore everybody wants more but the reality is the way the business is they're set up in a different way so um, I think as well you know you're selling more expensive cars you you can tend to like sit on them a bit longer can't you you know you're not in as much of a rush to you know when, when you've Got a car at four or five. Do you know what? Actually, it's horses for courses. Um, do you tend to sit on them more expensive ones a bit longer though? Because the ones I have that are more expensive, I can have some of them. I can have up to like four or five months. 
I mean, it all depends and it's all relative. For me, it's more important what, how much time and how much money we spend on the preparation. If I spend a week preparing a car, I don't expect it to then sell on the next day after I'm ready with it, although it happens sometimes. Last week, a neighbor of mine rang me up. They had a 4-series BMW on finance with BMW Financial Services, and he said, cost of living is biting. We basically want to reduce our outgoings. Do you want to buy our car? And I said to him, how much do you want? He said, I don't want anything, but I want you to settle the finance with BMW in full. As it stood, the cup trade price on their car was about £19,700, and they owed exactly, this was cup average, they owed exactly 19000 to BMW Financial Services. So I went and looked at it, and it looked, it was very dirty, but condition-wise, it was actually quite nice. They've only had it about a year, bought from the main dealership in High Wycombe. So we bought it at 19, we paid BMW 19, got the car, and I sold it this weekend for 22 and a half. So it took, what, about a week to sell? Yeah. And I got three and a half thousand profit and I had to spend maybe 60 pounds on a valet and this was it. I, it yeah. didn't even need an MOT, it needed a service. So, yeah. okay, I spent about 200 pounds rather than 60, but um, okay, it's still a quick, quick turnaround. But that's not the norm. If I mean, I expected to have that car for at least a month, maybe yeah. even more. I just either got lucky that we had the exact spec that somebody wanted but imagine if that car sold to a finance customer it didn't but if it did i would have the additional finance commission if he had a decent part exchange i would have taken his part exchange at a decent price and then the deal would have ended up being spectacular pretty much yeah Yeah. so we i always i always enter these deals they always buy these more expensive cars expecting finance income um aftermarket warranty income Maybe a part exchange, and very often you do get a part exchange on the expensive cars. Everyone has a car that yeah. they use. Nobody buys a forty thousand pound car and they don't have one at the minute. It just doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, the, the, yeah. You, so, uh, you're changing my mindset again now. Where I'm thinking I need to go more ten to twenty grand now, because then you're going to get the the choppers that are worth like if you sell a 20 grand car you're going to get a nice 10 grand car in part extra so that's exactly what happens but very often you sell a 20 grand car and you need to get a car in part exchange which is actually worth 25 so you need to get five thousand for that customer <laughs> yeah. to take their car I, I did a deal this weekend we i sold him an audi a6 all road which is like an avant but yeah. like a four by yeah. like a bigger bigger audi avant very nice car but he gave me in part exchange an s5 sport back his car is 21,000, our car was 17, so he got 4,000 from us instead of us getting any money from him. But yeah. his car is now advertised at 26,000, and if it sells, it'll be a very nice deal. Yeah. If it sells on finance, it'll be a spectacular deal. Yeah. And if it sells on finance with a part exchange, instead of staying home this New Year's, we're going to Thailand. <laughs> so these are the little decisions. You mean you're laughing, but that's it's the reality of the decision. These are the little decisions we have to make. Like, yeah. Do we, because if I'd stayed at the lower price bracket of cars, I would be selling more units every month. But whether I would have netted any more income, do you know, I'm not so sure. It's, On the other you know scale, I think <laughs> you've, you've got to keep them moving, haven't you? You know, you've got to keep the cars moving. And I've, I had this Golf R, I've had it, well, if Ian's listening to this because I bought it off him, he had it for about five months and then I had it for ten months. And in the end, I thought, bugger this, I just need to get rid of it. So I'd give 24 grand for it and I sold it for 22 grand. So I lost two grand, but I took in a Golf in part exchange and sold that this week. So I've only had the Golf, the the, the part X for like three weeks and I've had two grand profit out of that. So 
really, I didn't lose two grand on the golf R because if, yeah, if I'd if I'd kept it twenty four so grand, you, it would have still been there. Sorry, Nick. I, what I said was you didn't basically you had an opportunity there your money were in play your money wasn't sitting in your account idle doing nothing they were actually invested so you had a unit of stock which was out there it could have sold you could have made a bit more so arguably it, the whole experience maybe yeah you learned something that the golf eyes and the fastest the quickest seller yeah but arguably your, your money was utilized it was used well you didn't sit on unused funding as it were and I think there is value in that as well because if your money was stuck in your bank account, earning zero interest, then what I mean, yeah. there was nothing. There was nothing against them in return. Yeah. At least this way, you had a fifty-fifty chance. You either sell it for profit or not. But it was like going to a Vegas casino, and in one instance, you're just sitting there watching people at the tables doing nothing, and in the other instance, you place a bet with a fifty-fifty chance of winning or losing. So a yeah. roulette color bet. Black or- <laughs> But you know so what? I, I look at these things like this. When you've had them cars for so long, don't you feel better when they've gone though? You feel such a... I've absolutely, yeah. It's like a little celebration. But also I feel this, um, I don't know, almost an insult because of my professional understanding of when I pick an item of stock, <laughs> I always think they're super desirable and they'll sell quickly and then I've, I've done my job well. Yeah. And when the market proves me wrong yeah. and I'm sitting there, looking at the thing and I'm thinking okay it's perfect condition 16,000 miles yeah. perfect color the spec that everyone wants what is this thing still doing here yeah but sometimes people you need one person on the market sometimes the market is a single person believe it or not it's one person out there that wants our car and if you don't find that one person if they don't come to you if they don't go somewhere else then this car ends up staying there for a while and after a while many other cars like it get sold and suddenly your car gets pushed up to the top of the searches, top of the rankings, top of all trader, and suddenly everyone is after it, and you're sitting there thinking, what's going on? I've had it for such a long time, and nobody wanted it up to now. But um, Then you I, get I loads of calls on it. I wish I could read it by now, but I've given up. I've given no. up on reading the market. I'll just keep trying and trying, and as long as I make more money at the end of the year than I lose, then That's I'm it. doing something right. This is what I say to my mate, Howard. I'm like, you just don't know. You, you just, we don't know, do we? It's a gamble. Everything you buy is a gamble. And the ones that you think... There is always an element of speculation, absolutely, 100%. We always speculate a little bit. I've told you this in podcasts before. Yeah. I, I remember the conversation vividly. Yeah. And it's just, you, you put your money somewhere and then you're hoping to get a return, but yeah. there is zero guarantee that we will. And sometimes we get a return quickly... But then whatever you've, you've gained, whatever you've um, made money, you have to give them back in warranty repairs. So there is zero <laughs> return that we'll get. But what's the alternative to, to be employed by someone and just sell our time? No. That's guaranteed money. You've got a guarantee that you'll yeah. get paid. But even then, I mean, that job is not guaranteed no. forever. This like is most layoffs for... and stuff like this. And, and would you say like customers have changed a bit over the last two years? Or would you say they're just the same? Some of them have changed. Yeah, they need a bit more hand-holding. They need a bit more reassurance. They've become a bit more confident because they fully expect every little minor problem or niggle to be sorted out for them at no cost to them. And I, I see this when I try and push. I've never, you know, 17 years, 18 years almost, I've sold used cars. I've never pushed extended warranties as much as I've pushed them in the last year. And the reason I pushed them more last year is not 
that I want to make the profit, the little profit that they bring. They bring a little, but it's nothing to shout home about. But it's to explain to the customer that things happen, things could happen. Um, it's a used car you're buying. Just tell them that something will eventually break and they'll have to pay for it. Just get this idea into their mind. And pushing the extended warranty is a beautiful way of doing it because you're not telling them, look, it's a car and it will break eventually. You're just telling them, if it does, you need to have a bit of backup. And what you're saying is if it breaks, you need to either pay and fix it or you need to have the extended warranty that you need to pay for now. <laughs> so when it breaks eventually, because it will, when they come back to me, I can always refer them back to this conversation. And I have a little checklist now that I make them sign. And one of the items is um, I've been offered an extended warranty with much higher level level of coverage. And I've decided to take it up, yes or no. So I, I need their signature against it. So that if one day they say, no, you've not offered me the warranty, I can send them a picture message. And it's a very powerful tool to get some customers off of our back. Oh, and I know great. it's an awful thing to say, but it, it does work. And if, if they buy the warranty, then fine. They've got the backup. They've got the cover. We've got a little bit more profit. Everyone is happy. If they don't buy it, at least we've got a bit more cover for us. To, yeah. I mean, we told you it'll break. You didn't want to spend a bit more money. You have to spend a bit more money now. Yeah. End of story. And what about Kazoo then? Do you think that's, that's changed at all then, like people's uh, way of buying cars? Or do you think it's just been the same? I, if you'd asked me the question five, six months ago, I'd tell you yes, definitely. But looking at it now, Kazoo is about to go bust in a spectacular fashion, losing many investors, a lot of money. Carzam already went under. And I thought of all the operators that sprung out, you know, Kazoo, Sinch, Carzam, the three C's as I call them, I thought Kazam will be there the longest because they were set up by the owner of Big Motoring World yeah. and he's been very successful at whatever he's done basically in business up to now, it was always a great success. So I thought this guy knows exactly what he's doing. But look, they went bust in two years. Like they lost 50, he lost 50 million pounds, him and another investor. And how and did they go, but could, could they not get all the stock? Was that the problem? Could they not, or... How did they I go about? I can't answer that. I've, no, I've got no idea what the problem was. I, I don't know what their problem was. I can't see the problem was not getting the stock because his car supermarket is up and running, operating, and they're stocked up. Yeah. I've, I think the cars just weren't selling as fast as they predicted, and they invested a ton of money in a huge preparation center, in facilities, in delivery trucks. I think just the market didn't... Um, didn't really, either wasn't as big for the service they were offering... And, and maybe they didn't have enough when the money. Customers got cars. Customers had, um, I don't know, comebacks. I've, I don't know what the reason was. And maybe they didn't have enough money to back it, like Kazoo have, because Kazoo have got bloody hell, like hundreds so, of millions, haven't they? Um, well, it's just, Kazoo it's just lose, funding, isn't it? Up losing billions to investors, that's for sure. Kazoo have the most money of everyone else. But the only thing Kazoo has changed is that when we advertise a car, every now and then there is one on the other trader advertised by Kazoo which is if I advertise it at 98% of market, there is bound to be one advertised by Kazoo, which is at 89% or 90%, which basically cheaper than the auctions even. Yeah. Because they've had it a while and they just reduce, reduce, reduce until they sell. Yeah. And it, it just affects um, when we get calls, somebody will say, why is your car 24,000? Kazoo has one at 19 and a half. Yeah. And we yeah. ask them, why don't you buy theirs? And they say, well, yours looks nice. It has the better wheels. It has the better spec. It's slightly lower mileage. So arguably, it's not exactly the same, but the price difference is so huge. Yeah. It's almost like BCA. If, if BCA started listing all of their cars on Autotrader, 
it would be like what Kazoo are doing right now because Kazoo effectively selling cars with no profit, yeah. but they're retailing them with no profit, which is yeah. very unusual. They could trade them out for maybe the same money as the ones that they've got on Auto Trader, but they've got them on Auto Trader. Whether it's to build the brand, to enhance the brand, to, yeah. to drive people to their website, I can't. I can't answer the question. But it's such a better business model. Price lower than they should be. BCA is such a better business model. You know, they sell the car and then they get the commission on top, what, three, four hundred, where Kazoo buy the cars in and they're probably only making three, four hundred pounds across a lot of them cars, aren't they? They said they're making 300 on average per car, but I think in the long run, obviously they can't make that statement because in the long run, when in seven, eight months they get taken to court because of something that broke and the court asks them to pay 10,000, that's the profit from 30 or 40 other cars just um, down the toilet, basically. Yeah. So ultimately, they'll, they'll go under. When they do, people will revert back to the old tire-kicking model. And I'm not so sure whether I like that model, where somebody comes on a Saturday, spends two and a half hours inspecting a used car for sale, and then they go home and to say they'll think about it, or they show me a list of 15 other options that they have, <laughs> and um, they're saying that ours is number two, and they've got another 14 to view before ultimately arriving with the decision. I, I think I don't think they'll come back. I, I don't think I think them times have gone, and I think car dealers don't want to put up with people like that. I think we, we, we've just that's, that's for sure. But what we put up with is entirely what the customers present to us. I mean, whether we like it or not, we're slaves to the customer sentiment. Yeah. And if all the customers on the market want to do what they've always done, ultimately we'd either have to put up with it or go and do something else. And to be honest, unless my marathon time drops by 100% from five and a half hours to about two and a half hours, I can't go and make money from running. So I might as well sit in the chair that I'm sitting in right now and keep on buying and selling cars. <laughs> because the, I, the girls at home, yeah. they've got their expensive tastes and somebody needs to pay for them. And guess what? It, it has to be me. Do, do you think, Nick, you'd ever... Because I'll be honest, mate, in the summer... When it started going a bit quieter, I lost my mojo for uh, the car game a bit, and I, I'm back. I'm back in it now. I'm back like fully on it. But have you ever lost your mojo and and thought, oh god, I'm fed up of this? And if you have, how have you got back into it? Around August of this year, because I was doing so much running in preparation of this bloody marathon. And all my mind was into the running. So I found, I caught myself that I'm doing my job without thinking, like almost mechanically. And I quite enjoyed doing it for a bit, but I, I, I got zero satisfaction from any of the deals I did. And then I thought that maybe I burnt out, maybe my car dealing days are over. And um, I, I thought I'd lost my mojo then. It wasn't because the market was slow, because I wasn't doing deals. I just wanted something else, basically. I wanted the bloody marathon. Now yeah. that this is out of the way, I'm kind of back in the game, as it were. So I think it's all in the mind. It's all, yeah. I guess, car selling is like marathon running. And it's, you start off strong and then you slow down a bit and then you get pains and aches and then you don't want to do it anymore. And then when the finish line is inside, <laughs> then suddenly you're all fired up and energized and you're looking forward to the next thing. Yeah. So I, I see the similarities now between the one thing and the other. And it's just amazing how the psychology is exactly the same, although the two activities have got nothing 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 in common. Yeah, it's so true. Um, and when, so, when you're in your comfort zone, that's the worst place to be. Um, definitely. You need to always be right on the edge, maybe yeah. step slightly outside, but don't venture not too, too much. outside because you get burned 
And yeah. then when you get burnt, you kind of, you don't want to do it anymore. So you yeah. need to tread a thin line, like a thin line of where you want to be. And you yeah. need to be very careful with that. But I guess on the edge or slightly outside. So yeah. I guess for you, that'll be 18,000 pound cars. That's what you need to have. Think, if your comfort zone is 5 to 15, if you need 18,000 pound cars. I don't, do you know what, mate? I, I, don't think, I don't think it's the cars. I think it's the stock levels. So at the minute, we've got like 40 advertised. But I think I need to go up to 50 to keep the ball rolling that little bit. Because obviously, you know, last few years, you could have 40 advertised and you'd do yeah. 25 to 30. Where now it's so down... you've got forty advertised. Do you have how much? How much? How many cars do you own right now? Like There's how much about... stock is there in prep Stop or that. about to arrive or Fif... not advertised but yeah. yours? Fifty odd, fifty-five maybe. Okay, fifty-five. Yeah, and um, that's including me. Sort of like business partner Howard. He's got his cars yeah. on there. So um, if we can just up it to maybe. 60 to 65 cars floating around with 50 on the pitch and there's I've only got one but I've got one valetor a part-time valetor and then I've got a part-time salesman Phil who's brilliant he comes in three days a week and then we alternate Saturdays but when Phil's in and I'm in I find that I'm twiddling my thumbs a bit because he's dealing with the sales um and I just feel like I've been in that comfort zone of 40 advertised for too long now and I need to yeah. up it at 50 to just push me that little bit more. So what do you need for that? Do you need another valetor? Because I guess I two want... salesmen are enough. Maybe you need another valetor and then you're nearly there if they can manage yeah. to read them too. I don't, I don't think I need another valetor. I just need to get my finger out my arse and get 50 advertised. But every time I get in touch with Autotrade, I'm like, oh, I don't want to spend that extra money because it's like, with plus the VAT, it's five grand. But, you know, if you can get that extra four deals a month for the extra you're going to pay for Autotrader, it's not a lot, is it? I've just been stuck in that mindset. So that that's my next thing is to get 50 advertised. That sounds. It sounds like a reasonable milestone. So I don't see why. How um, to me, it looks quite easy from forty-five to fifty. It's so marginal. Really, it's just a few more adverts, yeah. a few more stock units. Obviously, it's a few more headaches every month. But uh, you know, you get a few more sales. And our auto trader bill is about, including the VAT, maybe about sixteen, seventeen hundred. And this is for I've got twelve or thirteen, maybe fourteen active adverts at the minute. So you have four times as much, nearly, yeah. or three and a half times as much, for just double the money. So your deal is arguably a bit better than mine. Yeah. So if you can get there, then and if you think that things will be flowing, if you think that business will be smoother in the sense that you'll get more sales equally yeah. spread. Because one of my problems is that my customers, they seem to come in droves, and I seem to do four deals on some weekends, and then I've got two, two weeks without a deal. So I can't for the life of me I cannot even out this sort of wave of doing nothing for a period of time and then doing a lot of work in the space of a weekend I don't know how or why it happens but it does and I've got no explanation no answer yeah it's horrible isn't it yeah but even having 40 cars advertised we had one week where we didn't get any phone calls or anything and it's horrible. You just want to keep that momentum going, don't you? That's, but that's the problem with this job. That's why you've got to be psychologically strong 
for the quiet time. I know, time. but with 40 or 50 cars in stock, there is always a long list of jobs. So yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, before yeah, yeah. I thought that the work is selling cars, now I realise our work is more like a property developer that spends 95% of their time actually building the bloody property or developing <laughs> it, extending it, whatever. Yeah, the selling's the easy bit. just 5% of their time selling it because it, it's, to me, it, well, at least it's my model where I'd always buy a car that needs a bit of work. Yeah. To me, the preparation takes up 95% of my time and I'm talking the time left from running 50 or 60 mile weeks now. So that's not a lot of time. And then when a customer comes, it's almost like an afterthought, almost like something that happens at the end of a working day yeah. between all the other jobs that need to happen. And, um, that's and, it. and the way I'm set up as well, all the preparation happens off of our site. Nothing happens here. MOT garage is in one place, paint shop is in another, the mechanical garage is in another, electronics guy, electrics guy is in another, yeah. the specialist garage for BMW is in another, and, and it's just this logistics, it takes me so much time that I barely have time to even sell the cars when the customer comes. Yeah, 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 so with you, you've got a lot of running about to do, haven't you? I've tons, I don't even want to talk to you in miles, but <laughs> yeah, nothing happens close to me, nothing happens locally. The nearest place is the tire place, which is four miles away. MOT garage is maybe 15 miles. But but I've worked with them for so many years. And when yeah. I go there, everything else gets dropped. And my car goes on the ramp and gets done immediately, straight away. And to me, this is extremely valuable. Whereas locally to us, where we live in the Golden Triangle, you call a local garage and they give you an appointment in three and four weeks' time. Yeah. Which by then, my car will be sold. So yeah. that's no good to me at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's an, you, you need a, Luckily, we've got a garage next to us. So today, you know, we took a deposit on the car and we were like, can you do a quick MOT? I mean, that is just... It's beautiful, isn't it, when you can do that? 100%, yeah, because it saves you hours and hours of your day. And when you've got 50 cars, that's many, many, many hours in the month. Whereas if we have 20 cars, that's a lot less hours. But yeah. still, imagine one person doing... Because imagine 20 cars, if each one of them needs five things, MOT service will refurbish, change a couple of tires, put an advert in. That's 100 jobs, David, for one person to do, yours truly. 100 jobs. And if you don't do it, if it doesn't get done, you cannot sell the thing. So you can have it on the books, you can have it parked up nice and shiny, but you've not earned a single penny and you've done 100 jobs. And that's if you have 20 cars. If you have 30 cars, that. 150 jobs yeah and it rises exponentially from there it depends on how much prep everyone does but a twenty thousand pound car needs a certain amount of things done to it to make it sell for i'm not going to say top money but for reasonable amount of money to keep me happy yeah i think that's where i lost my mojo bit when all these cars come are coming in constantly yeah yeah yeah. it's like they've all got no end They've all got bits missing, so you're on eBay trying to find a part, and I hate that. I think maybe I need someone to come in part-time and do all that buying of the shitty things what cars need, you know. I mean, do you do, do that? Honest, do you buy all where the things? money is made. You go on eBay, buy something for 100 quid that the main dealer wants 2,000 for. I think that's where we make our money. Yeah. If it oh, wasn't yeah. for eBay, I'd be out of business. I'd be out of a job. Yeah. Parcel shelf for 80 pounds when they're worth 450. <laughs> Give me that any day of the week. For example, I get, I don't know why, but if I get a car with three tires from one brand and a fourth tire from another, I physically get sick. Like, I can't even look at it. The fourth tire could be brand new. I jump straight on eBay and find one tire to match the other three. 
Yeah. But I need the make to be the same, the model to be the same, the age to be roughly the same, the tread pattern. And eBay has everything. It's like they've got everything on there. Oh, and for 25, great. 30 quid, somebody brings it to your door. And, and that's why behind our house, we've got this empty space. And we've got a ton of tires and wheels there, like an assorted amount. And if one day I'm out of a job, I will basically, I'll go back behind the house. I'll dig out all the tires and wheels. And I'll... Um, yeah, I was just selling them one yeah. by one. So, so you, you wouldn't put, if you had three Michelins on, you wouldn't put a brand new budget on the back? No. If I had three Michelins, I'd find a used Michelin to go and match the other yeah. three. I wouldn't even put a brand new Michelin because it'll look odd. I mean, it depends on how bad, the, how worn the other, the other three are. But I prefer everything to look yeah. identical, you know, the same. Because... I mean, some I've talked to some dealers and they say, you, how could you put a used tire on a car? But to be honest, if you buy a used car with four tires on it from an auction, <laughs> you buy exactly four the same used thing. Tires. You bought a used car <laughs> with four used tires on it and you're selling the thing. So what difference does it make where so my fourth tire comes from, whether I put it on and when I put it on, it gets inspected, it gets pressure tested. We know it's good. We put it on. We're happy with it. Yeah. When it's already on the car, you've not seen it off of the rim. You've got no idea whether it's had any repairs. Yeah. So arguably, it's. I mean, it's a small thing, but imagine 25 cars, each one of them needing one or two tires. That's oh, just God. tire that's 50, 50 tires in a month. Oh, that's well, I've, I asked a couple of the lads in the uh, WhatsApp group to ask you a couple of questions. And uh, Mark's put... Um, What's been the hardest part of the job this last twelve months? Actually, I think we might have just asked that, but yeah. But what was the hardest no, part? No, uh, we haven't. But to me, the hardest part of the job all the time is to just um, deal with the comebacks. Like I'm still, yeah. I still get like personally responsible for every car that comes back with some issue. As if I've built the thing from you. It's the comebacks <laughs> have been the hardest, and some of the comebacks have been really hard, like really big. Does it does it does it make you feel does it does it drain you like it does me? When when, absolutely, I could sell fifty cars and I could have one bad out of them, and when it comes back, it's the same amount of energy required to put it right, keep the customer happy, and then put my mind at rest that I've done a good job. So I sold this chap a Jaguar XF, a very nice Bulgarian chap. Pure coincidence, he found me on the auto trade. I'm Bulgarian, he's Bulgarian, but he never he never knew me from before. He traded in an old Jaguar XF, got one three years, four years old, and um, he texted me one day and said, I took it on the motorway. I'm not going to tell you the speed that he took it at because it was highly illegal, but he got a warning light for a blocked PPF filter. This happened in July of this summer, right before I went on a two-week summer holiday. (laughs) My two-week summer holiday in Bulgaria cost me £1,500, which was quite reasonable, and while I was lying on the most beautiful beaches there, I spent no less than £4,000 getting parts for this Jaguar because when his DPF message came out, he yeah. got somebody to come to his house to regenerate it. So basically they put a diagnostic computer to the car yeah. and they tell the DPF system to regenerate. What this does, it increased the temperature to about seven or 800 degrees, which is an extreme fire hazard. And it must have caught fire <laughs> because when... <laughs> When he rang me next, he said, I've got a problem with the car. Can we take it to your garage? And when it arrived at my garage, the owner of the garage rang me up and said, I don't have time to look at it now, but I've got one question. Why is the underside of the engine covered in firefighting foam? (laughs) (laughs) So so then I knew exactly what had happened. 
they tried to regenerate the filter and in the process the filter failed and pieces of this filter went to the catalytic converter immediately behind it rendering it useless and there was nothing wrong with it before the incident shall we call it so it was 2000 pounds for a dpf 2000 for a catalytic converter four grand and i had to spend them from my sun lounger during my holiday <laughs> and it was just so it was soul destroying this was by far the hardest part and then we fixed the car and i experienced a lot of you know satisfaction from doing the right thing until yeah. he rang me up two days after he got the car from the garage and he said nick you'll never believe this the car got stolen from my driveway overnight <laughs> and i thought to myself i was i wanted to cry and i thought these were the most inefficient i prayed for this to happen but before i spent all the money repairing uh, it you know after we'd repaired it i didn't want this to happen yeah I yeah. badly wanted it to be stolen or to burn away or something <laughs> to happen to it before I spent all the money. I've never had this before where we spent uh, 4,000 in parts, another thousand in labor to get them fitted yeah. and then it gets stolen from his and driveway. So, somebody's robbed it and the, 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 they've broke it up for parts and they're like, oh, bloody hell, there's a brand new DBF on this. Brilliant. <laughs> I hope, do you know, David, I hope they did. I hope they did. And I hope they make some more money out of it because of this. Because if they just buy it to export to sell somewhere in Africa, nobody would appreciate the amount of work I've put in in that thing. So I hope they broke broke it for parts and they find the brand new parts oh, and sell them back brilliant. to somebody on eBay, whatever. And um, so this, to me, that was the hardest. I, this is what I struggle with most: comebacks yeah. and having to spend all this money on. And I didn't make five grand on the car. If I'd made it, I would have felt a little bit yeah. passe about it. But I didn't. So there it you go. Dumb, mate. It's just it's just one. It's 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 the uh, it's in the minority, isn't it? You know, it's in the minority. Yeah, but imagine if you make three hundred pounds per car like Kazoo does, and then if you lose oh, five thousand yeah. on this yeah. one car, this is yeah. like and that's why in, independent dealers people like us will will i think touch wood will always be okay we'll always be able to make profit um you know we haven't got massive overheads have we we can manage the money efficiently and yeah, I think there's always a place for the independent dealers, and I think people like coming to us as well. They prefer coming to us than the big. That's the key from a customer's point of view. Going and talking to someone, or even picking up the phone and talking to someone, rather than clicking a mouse, yeah, has a certain advantage. The only thing that worries me is that the new generation, and my older daughter is seventeen, my younger is seven. So I think my younger daughter, by the time she needs to buy a car in about ten, twelve years she'd prefer to click a mouse rather than talk to a person and i think yeah. it's just a, a generational thing it's just the way yeah. we're growing them up with the ipads and the iphones yeah. and the all the devices that they have but yeah. i think that i comfortably have about 25 years of dealing with the existing generations so you've got oh, well, you're, you're, you're only a year older than me so we've got so you think we've got 25 years left i think that's right because my business partner howard he's 75 I think seventy-five and three quarters. He always says, and he's, so he's he's thirty-one years older than me. So yeah, he's still buying cars now. He's still buying cars now. He, but he how active it. is Howard? Like how active is he involved in? Well, you'll be mate, he'll buying be, is the easier part. He'll be listening to this because he's your biggest fan. Uh, 
that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this tonight. So, it, oh, well, if I can, if I can deal with cars at your age, that'll be my lifetime achievement. I'll be grateful. <laughs> I'll be happy. To me, and I always preach it to everyone: the journey is the reward. There is no end game. There is no goal for me that I'm aiming at. There is no light at the end of the tunnel that I'm trying to reach. So, if I can reach 75 years and still be active enough to, so I have two desires now: to be 75. Yes. Yeah, to do what Howard does, yeah. and at by seventy-five to do your marathon time of three hours twelve minutes—that's what I want to achieve now. These are my two goals: three hour, three hours. Tw- was it three hours twelve? Three hours twelve. I think I think you'll do the other two, but you won't do the three Fucking hours twelve. Insane, mate. Three hours twelve—that's insane. Like, is that even legal? Three hours twelve. I, I can't know. even do the math. But I know. Well, I've got it again next year. I'm gonna try- that I can't even sprint at this I'm point. I'm going to try and do it in three hours next next uh, next year, but. But yeah, going back to Howard, like, all right, look up to him because just his, his, his desire, you know, he still loves the deal, he loves the buying the cars, and that's the beauty of this job, you know, you, you, you are in it for the deal, aren't you? That is the endorphin rush. I mean, I, I used to be in it for the cars, I used to love the cars, to me the buying and the selling was secondary, I used to like the process of being in a certain car, acquiring it, working on it. Now that I think about it, I think my favorite part is when I shake the customer's hand at my desk. So yeah, yeah I've now arrived at the point where the deal is the deal is what keeps me going. The deal is the motivator instead of um, you know the tech, the machine. Yeah. yeah, I hate cars by now. After so many years <laughs> spending money on them, I've not worked out what I've spent over a career in selling cars well, between the millions of pounds. So right. I hate. Nick, what, what do you think of this then? So, because I've had so much warranty bollocks the last month or so, my new thing is, eventually, I'd like to have 40 automatic minis. Because if if anything goes wrong with them, I know exactly what's going to go wrong with them. Um, number two, I just like minis. Uh, number three, automatic minis always seem to sell quite quick. Um so do you think that could be a good business model? But the only negative is every car that I buy that I like, I seem to have forever. I struggle to sell. So, so, so if you, I get 30 minis, I probably won't sell them. 30, 40 minis. But look, when, again, coming back to what we mentioned earlier, say if I'm on the market to buy an automatic mini and I browse various dealers and I find one has 40 of them, Yeah. I'd be very tempted to buy from them because A, they have a bit of a selection for me to go and see and B, they would know the inside out. So when an automatic mini fails from the newer generation, you know exactly which little metal piece of spring breaks and you know exactly how long it takes a couple of hours to fix it. You fix it for free, basically. It doesn't cost anything. You know the exact fault. You know the exact nature of the problem. But the problem you have with 40 minis is that if somebody turns up not exactly sure which of the 40 minis they want you might be having a six or a seven hour session with a single potential customer (laughs) showing them maybe a dozen to 15 different vehicles before they eventually make up their mind and maybe potentially hopefully drive in one of them yeah so to i think a bit of a variety and buying them buying them might be quite hard as well mightn't it you you know when you specialize in something when all of your energy is concentrated on buying that particular type of car then you'll end up buying it'll be easier for you you'll be paying more you'll be paying a premium over other people 
but you'll find yourself being able to charge a bit more than other people charge. Yeah. And you can put you know, strikes on them, you can personalize them, and you learn. Yeah. When you learn it inside and out, it, it's easier to sell, but you won't be selling, say if you have 40 minutes, you won't be selling 35 in a month. You'll probably be selling 15 in a month. Yeah. And you'd wish that you have a bit of a diversity. Then the second problem I see with this business strategy is the part exchanges. So you have 40 automatic minutes, half the part exchanges will have will be a small manual car that people upgrade out of into an automatic mini and those ones you have to trade them out because if you're exclusively dedicated to selling the automatic minis you have to trade out those cars then the other half of the cars will be bigger cars the people um i don't want to say ladies i don't want to sound sexist but um we do a lot of business with ladies with when the kids grow up a little bit they trade out of the seven seater they finally buy the automatic mini they always wanted but couldn't because with three children or two children you can't you cannot have a mini as a daily driver so you'll be having all these nice audi q7s and ford galaxies and ford pumas and mercedes glcs that you could be retailing but instead you'd need to trade them out so um i think you'll miss another trick there so with, with somebody specializing Yes, it has upsides, but it has major downsides. So and you might not do as many finance deals on an automatic mini, mightn't you? Yeah, there will be a fair amount of finance. Yeah. They're a very financeable car. It's not just the younger people finance. Yeah. But um, I, I think you could love, like you know, um, you know the, uh, you know the other David, David Billsborough from uh, yes. Cheshire Cars. Yeah, he sells he a bar. He? he loves his minis. He loves these small supercar he loves them he has a real passion for italian flair shall we say david yeah. if you're listening to this heads off he, he, he drives a vespa you'd never see me on a vespa like i'd be terrified we <laughs> rented a little scooter in formentera this summer i thought we we're gonna i thought i'll genuinely die on that day in fact i nearly did on a couple of occasions <laughs> in a little scooter you'll never see me in one of them but he has passion for them and uh, it, but ultimately imagine the part exchanges you'd be missing out on and all the other stuff i couldn't i don't want to restrict myself to that i want a little bit of a wider umbrella a little bit of a bigger selection a little bit of more yeah. opportunities and once you start venturing into other avenues profitably then you you will stop specializing so you need to be you need to be disciplined in specializing yeah i guess again like like running you could say I'll Discipline. only run in Nike running shoes. I'll never run in another brand of shoe. So, you will be missing out. Oh so that's God. exactly how it is. It's, and I, I, I know that people specialize and people know their cars well, but I personally don't see the point. You need from to be a disciplined. Point of view, not from a servicing point of view. Yeah, you need to be disciplined in like not buying or retailing Vauxhall Antares because the DBF light always comes on. And all the cars that are problematic... But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because oh, it's just, yeah, you look at a part X that comes in like a nice Antara and you think, oh, I'll just sell it, it'll be all right. And then two weeks later, it comes back with a DPF problem. And I'm like, never again will I sell a bloody Antara. And then I do the same thing a month later. So you, you've, you've got to be a bit more disciplined with your, the way you sell cars, haven't you? You've got to think, right, I'm never selling an, an Antara again. Would you say that? So, right? what, in this example, what I would do differently to you is when the next Antara comes in, we'll get it for stock, but we'll get it in the garage, we'll take the DPF off, we'll clean it completely with a chemical solution, 
Um, we'll drive it to make sure it regenerates, and then we'll sell it with a bit more confidence, I suppose. Because yeah. if it's so, if it's such a common fault, I mean, if there is a fix for it, you might as well do the fix in advance of selling it. If it's a good seller car with a decent margin, if it's an average seller with an average margin, then yeah, that's just too much pain. It's, yeah. it, it's just not worth the extra hustle. No. You know, like um, there are dealers specializing in selling MGs. And oh, I love them, yeah. With the He's K on the series engine, 1.8 petrol K series engine. Yeah. So those dealers, they will always, always, always replace a head gasket before the sale yeah. every time because they know that it will eventually go. So they replace it with an upgraded part. Yeah. And, and that's why they even touch these cars. I, for example, I would never retail a Rover without doing the head gasket. Yeah. But if it came to me, I'd probably just trade it out. And it's just not a car for me. But there are people out there that do a good business. In fact, I sold a car to a customer this weekend. And listen to this. He was a breaker. He exclusively specializes in Mazda MX-5, but he exclusively specializes in separating the hard top from the car. He trades out the whole Mazda, basically, and then he resells just the hard top. This is his specialty. I've yeah. never heard of a more niche business, but he said that there is a huge demand in the United States, and because of the way the dollar-pound exchange rate goes, he basically buys them here for about four or 500 pounds, separates the hard top from the chassis, sells the chassis, trades it out, whatever, or scraps it, and then the hard top is $2,000 in the US. And think about it, it's extremely simple business, but it's one that I would never even think of, yeah. of starting up in. It is such a niche. How yeah. do you even stumble upon it? Yeah. It's beyond me, I don't know, but that's yeah. all he does. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. I absolutely love it. It's finding that niche. That's what I've tried to do these last 10 years. I've always thought I will stumble across a niche and then that'll be it. But I haven't, I haven't found my niche yet. I think you did. It's marathon running. Three hours, 12 <laughs> at your age. You should have gone pro a few years ago. You would have been sub two and a half hours maybe now, sub two hours 45. Yeah, I should have just stumped to running. by various companies to just <laughs> carry their logo on the back of your T-shirt. But basically you run past your niche, forgive me the pun, and now yeah. you're selling cars for a living. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and there's one more question Chris Ball wants to ask you. Why have you oh, only wow. got why have you only got nine cars advertised for sale? Chris, if you look now, we've got about twelve, but we've got nine because we're ruthlessly efficient and we sell them so quickly. <laughs> the only mistake we've made is we should have left the other three advertised, but written down at the bottom of the advert, sorry now sold, just to enhance our image. You know, image. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Oh mate, that's cool. But mate, I'm gonna have to go now because I've got to. Uh, I've got to pop out. But yeah, mate, thank you. Sure. Send, send me this over when you finish the editing. I'd love to have another listen to it. Very nice to catch up. I will, mate. I will, mate. Honestly, it's absolutely brilliant. We'll do it again. It's it's just good, isn't it? Doing this, it's just. It, I think it just gets. You, well, it's got my mojo. Just listening to you and your passion, and when you hear the deals and stuff like that, I just love it. I just love this job. It is. It's Definitely, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, we could have chosen a heck of a lot worse. Trust me on this. Yeah. I yeah. talk to people every day doing various jobs, and all I'm asking myself is, why would you stay in that job for 30-odd years at a time? Yeah. Like, where is the satisfaction? Other than, obviously, regular income, uh, like a clockwork every last Friday of the month or yeah. whatever they get paid. It's just interesting. But to, I think, I don't think me and you are employable anymore. I don't think anybody no. would in their right mind would employ us to be an employee without their own no. business. I, I don't think I could do that ever, 
and somebody would pay me to work for them, I just don't think that and will happen, to be honest. Don't you think it's amazing that, like, you've been in this, what, 17, 18 years now? B- between 17 and 18 yeah. years. Right and I, the cusp. I'll have been doing this 10 years next year. And um, when I first started this, and I, I set up the name, and obviously I've seen your cars and that. And, you know, yeah. you know, like most businesses, they don't last 10 years. And we've we've been in it for this this amount of time. It's just amazing, and we've done it all on our own, haven't we? Absolutely, I'm I'm quite pleased to be honest. I mean, the business hasn't grown much in terms of numbers, but it's grown a lot in terms of money, and that's all. I've yeah. to me, that's the ultimate the ultimate measurement. You know, I don't need to have hundreds of cars and lose fifty million, for example, like yeah. um, the cars I'm guys. It's as long as I stay profitable, then yeah. I remember many years ago I was leaving BCA in Bedford and I um, there was a trade plater and I gave him a lift and he'd been in business many years ago and I was young and I said to him, what what advice would you give me in terms of size? Like, how big do I want to be? He said, to me, the ultimate is 20 very nice cars. And I remembered this, so I'm always aiming to have 20 very yeah. nice cars and I'm close enough to that now, but not always because I never have 20 ready. Yeah. And if I have 20 advertised, it'll be to the ultimate satisfaction of Chris, of course. <laughs> And that day will probably come. But if I have 20 advertised, this probably will mean I have 35 in prep with the amount of time it takes us to prep. I know, that, that's right, that, you know, because, like, having, like, what is it? It's uh, quality over quantity because, like, we've got 50-odd, 60 cars or whatnot, and I'm looking at loads of them thinking, oh, my God, that needs that, that, that needs that. But when you've got 20 that are all pristine and looking beautiful... There's no better feeling, is there? Yes and no. Looking beautiful to me isn't enough. I need to see the back of them. I need to see the brake lights being applied when <laughs> yeah. the customer drives it off down our driveway. That's the moment I like. Obviously, looking at them yeah. all beautiful is nice. And, you know, I've got my amazing collection of pictures and everything. But looks aren't everything to me. I need to extract yeah, the profit from the them. Profit, then I've yeah. done the job. And obviously, I reinvested again the next day. So realistically, no. it doesn't mean much. But no, um, that's right. That's no. it. The journey is the reward. If oh, you don't yeah. remember anything else out of this one hour, 17 minutes, or however long the conversation <laughs> lasted, just remember this. The journey is the reward. To me, yeah, I don't yeah. see an end gate to this. There isn't there an, an end gate. No, brilliant. And now, I'm off to shoot off. Thank you for that. Very nice to catch up yeah. with you, matey. Cheers, Have a good mate. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.